for the principle. You know, the freedom we get, we gotta have people that are always fighting for freedom. We see people taking our freedom away in many ways. Thank you. If you don't have Tyler Futures, get it. If you don't have his subscription to his education materials, coherence, get it. Put it all on the social media, because it's all reviewed and it's all works and it's good stuff. We gotta change the consciousness of mankind. Our fight is getting this principle out there and educating freaking humanity once and for all. That's why we're in the position we're in, because people don't get the damn principle. We got guys like this that do the research, put the stuff together, support him on his movement, and listen to what he says. Let's get loud and clear for Dr. Matt McCoy. in this room. A lot of love in this room. You know, past 10 months of my life, I don't know about any of you, have been difficult. And I was talking to my son about this this morning. And I was reminding him that as difficult as things have been, I was reminding him how lucky we are, how fortunate we are as a family. You know, this issue of love you know, I lose, I, I lose my mind every once in a while. Some of you that know me know that. And my son and I go to the gym together. You know, I putts around and he plays basketball. And at this gym we go to, there are these people that rent the basketball courts to play pickleball. I don't know if you've ever seen this game. And last week in the gym, I'm upstairs and I can see the basketball court. And the pickleball people have half of the basketball court and he was using one of the hoops. And more people came to play pickleball. And I'm upstairs, and I could see I was doing yoga. I'm stretching out. And I see my son packing up his stuff, and I see these people setting up another pickleball net. And I watch, watch this old man kick my son off the basketball court. My son's 12. And I could feel my heart rate coming up. And I tried to take some deep breaths and continue doing my stretches because I knew my son was going to come up and tell me what happened. And I tried as hard as I could to breathe and let it go. It didn't work. I went to the ledge, the railing, and I just started screaming at these people. And my son came up, and long story short, I finished up, took my shower, got dressed, and the whole time I'm just trying to calm down. 
and I just couldn't, you know. But I went, so I went onto the court, and I went right to the woman who was in charge, and by this time I had got my emotions under control. And a long story short is I had a conversation with this woman about love. Because she started talking to me about, well, we pay for this and the rules and this and that. And I was like, why couldn't you just move down? You got all this space. It's like, well, you know, the lines. We got to have the lines. I looked at her and I said, what is this, the freaking Olympics? It's pickleball! I said, somebody didn't teach you about sharing. He's 12, and he knows about sharing. You're 60, and you don't know about sharing. And she wanted to argue. Well, that's not what it's about. I said, yes, it is. I said, it's about love, and it's about sharing. And you need to think about that. And all you people, talking to all these people playing pickleball, all you people need to think about that because by this time they're all just standing around waiting to see what I'm going to do. <laughs> and then I just walked, turned around and left. I wasn't planning on telling that story. I don't know where it came from. It just, you know, the, the love. That's what's missing right now, right? That's the problem. Rando, I have my slides? Slides. So, Steve um, Judson, I spoke at the Georgia Chiropractic Council last month, I think, for the holidays, right? And um, I did this talk, and so when they asked me to speak here. Steve said, just do that same talk. It'll be a little different. Um, I'm a little out of my element because uh, I'm really honored and humbled to be up here speaking at DE. I haven't done it often, maybe two times. But I grew up at DE. It was a long period of time where I was away from DE. That's a story for another time. But I grew up at DE as a kid, coming to DE. And then when I was practicing in Florida, we used to bring our staff up to DE. And today is particularly emotional for me, and I didn't realize it until I got here, that it would be, because you know this is where DE was, right? <laughs> Back in the day, at the Waverly. Who came to DE in the 90s? A few of you. When life was at its peak, 4,000 students, 4,000 students. Do you, hear, do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> there isn't a school that comes close to that. The CC would shut them down if they did. And I will never forget for as long as I live, and I tell this story if I have opportunity, I used to tell it to my senior level students all the time. I can remember being here at a DE in the 90s. And if I remember correctly, you know, these walls all open up all the way to the end. Okay? So the whole thing. I don't know how many thousands of people were in the room this particular Saturday night. But Sid was speaking. I was a little late, so he was already up and he was in the throes of talking about the pots and pans and speaking with authority. That was the, the gist of his talk when I walked in. One that I'd heard many times. And I, I you know, elbowed my way into the room. There was no place to sit. It was standing room only in the back of the room. And I managed a spot right next to Fred Barge, 
How many ever got to hear Fred Barch speak? <laughs> and I'm standing next to Fred, and Sid was on, and, and Fred elbows me and says, boy, he's really on fire tonight. And he was. I, I, I had never heard him like this before, and I never heard him like this after. I don't know what it was about, but his speaking from authority, speech, was one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. And there's no no more of an important time that I've seen in my lifetime, my career as a chiropractor, that it's been as important for us to speak with authority. Look at what's going on. And I, I have a burden because I run a malpractice insurance program. And so, my job is to help chiropractors stay out of trouble. <laughs> and if you speak from authority right now, you're in big trouble. A hundred million human beings are going to be injected with a novel molecular machine over the next 100 days. Because you understand it's not a vaccine. It is a molecular machine. We're going to need a lot of love and a lot of prayer in the near future. We need to pray for those people that are manipulated to the point where they are willingly signing up for this. We need to pray for those people. We need to pray for our own profession because now chiropractors can inject the COVID vaccine. Colorado, just last week. The scope was expanded in that state so that chiropractors can inject the COVID vaccine. How did this profession go that far afield? I know how it went that far afield because I've watched it over 30 years go off course. And I've ranted and raved and screamed like a lunatic. I got fired from a chiropractic college because of it, about going off course. And as much as I knew it was coming, when I saw this, when it happened, I just, I literally, I just sat there, just sat at my desk with my head down. I didn't know what to think, I didn't know what to say. How could chiropractors want to do this? How could chiropractors want to inject this into human beings? And, and I've been watching chiropractors, chiropractors that some of them that I, I thought owned the principle. And this is not, I'm just saying this with judgment, okay? But I'm watching chiropractors roll up their sleeves and take this vaccine. I don't get it. I, I don't get how you could embrace the principles of our profession and do that. We need to pray for them. 
You know, some of them, I think there was even some discussion on the DE page about this on Facebook. You know, some of them have felt, you know, uh, attacked by other chiropractors for doing it. And, and, and that's not what we should do. We have to love them. We have to embrace them. We have to care for them. Because, because, you know, what happens in a chiropractor's mind that they make that decision, that they make the decision to take it themselves and that they make the decision to give it to another human being. You know, many of you know that when this all started, I drew the line in the sand with the mask. You know, with all due respect to our, our host at the hotel, Marriott has an internal integrity policy. It's hard to find, but I found it. And one of their integrity principles is that they will not violate the law. But here they are violating the law in direct contradiction to their integrity principles. And that's happening everywhere, isn't it? It's not to be believed. So, that's what's happening in Colorado. You may or may not know that there are several counties in, in California where the flu shot is mandated for chiropractors, all healthcare providers, including chiropractors. They're listed as a line item. So I don't know what's going to happen, whether it's going to be mandated, whether the COVID vaccine will be mandated for chiropractors. I have some hope, little tiny glimmer of hope, that politics will take over and, you know, they'll want our new president to be the savior and all this stuff will die down, but I'm not that naive. So we'll see what happens. When this whole thing hit 10 months ago, I was telling Brian a few minutes ago, you know, I've, we've had this malpractice program for a little over 10 years and I haven't worked this hard in 10 years. We didn't work this hard to start the program from scratch as I did in the previous 10 months when all of this happened. And most of the problems were because of other chiropractors who told on their friends or people that they don't like in their town because they weren't wearing masks or because they weren't following protocols or because they didn't shut down and the boards went after them. That's what, that's what that slide is. Is Mark from Texas, you in the room, recognized. This is a president of a chiropractic college in Texas who when COVID hit almost immediately, him and several trade organizations, state organizations, national, international, and even state regulatory boards threatened chiropractors. His exact words, you will be under the hand of the law if you talk to your patients about the relationship between the nervous system and the immune system. He's in charge of training future chiropractors. So it should be no wonder why chiropractors want to get it and why they want to give it. So we responded to a lot of this nonsense. He sent me a cease and desist letter. And when my attorney gave him the finger, and literally reminded him of the First Amendment and said, bring it on, because Georgia has an anti-slap statute. And I'll let you guys look that up later. But freedom of speech is alive and well in the state of Georgia, I can tell you that much. And when it didn't work coming after me, he went after people close to me and threatened them. Because that's how these people operate. I don't know if it's the same as service hand and business hand, but you've got to have a love hand and you've got to have an attack hand too.
especially when they're coming for you. So we responded to all this stuff. One of the things we did was we held a immunity conference up in Spartanburg, the Foundation for Vertebral Subluxation, and Sherman College. Rando, can you play that or is that just a quick snippet of what we did up there? Sorry, Rando. Where the hell is the vast majority of chiropractors? We need to start talking. We need to start getting in the face of some of these people who think they can change 125 years' history by merely rewriting research and handpicking it to use it against us. Most of what we're saying in science is exactly what you guys are saying in chiropractic. We just use some different language. It's logic. My father taught me about these other science. He called it street sense. Anyone talk about what you should be doing to defend yourself against COVID? I've heard nothing except from the chiropractic community. What kind of crap is that? We're still back in the 1800s with a virus. Can we say that chiropractic has an impact on the immune system function? I do not know how anybody on the planet cannot see that all of our biological systems are interrelated. I would say that it's dangerous for any organization to come out and say that chiropractic doesn't impact the immune system. Period. Do you have research, chiropractic research, showing clinical outcomes for each of these entities? We do, don't we? What if we consider these to be neuroendocrine microbiological disorders rather than simply nervous system disorders or immune system disorders? That's a whole new opportunity, isn't it? But in order to be able to have this conversation, we need to have some epidemiologic data that informs policy. And we have to be able to communicate that in a way that a medical provider would see the value in subluxation correction for the sole purpose of subluxation correction. It is a shock that anybody in our profession or out doesn't see the need for chiropractic. This is where you need to deepen your understanding of subluxation, deepen your understanding of how to communicate it as well. We need legislation and policy to show that it's effective and cost-effective to be under they don't know the potential benefits of walking around with an unattended subluxation. We know that the subluxation in and of itself is detrimental to the fullest expression of life. That means that a cell cannot be birth and defense at the same time. A profession can't be birth and defense at the same time. A country can't be birth and defense at the same time. And by keeping you in defense, Growth. We as chiropractors have an opportunity to change that because we know it's not about stress, it's about how we adapt to stress. And we as chiropractors can facilitate a higher degree of adaptation to physical, chemical, and emotional stresses that transform not just a pregnant person's experience in this world, but the baby she grows and brings into the world. Let's not be afraid to be in the adaptation. Not just in the sick people getting better, that's also a sign of adaptation. We're not focused on the signs and symptoms. We're going to affect the body in a positive way by giving the force to help that body correct self-adaptation. The human body is freaking smart. Right? putting some final touches on the program, but hopefully by next week all 
I think it's about 15 hours of that conference will be available uh, online through Rando's company. Uh, and all the proceeds will benefit the Foundation for Vertible Subluxation. So uh, look for it. So that was part of our response to this nonsense that came out. By the way, th this is the document about uh, chiropractors in Colorado being able to inject, and it lays out all the rules. And you know, here's, the, here's also the frightening thing about it, and all, really the sad thing about it, and how pathetic these chiropractors are. The chiropractor can't make any decisions about you know, who gets it, who doesn't get it. The only thing the chiropractor can do is do the injection under the supervision of nurse or medical doctor or nurse practitioner and so forth and so on. So, you know, congratulations chiropractors, we've arrived, we're accepted now, you know. And this is happening all over the world. United Kingdom, uh, Canada and so forth, they're, 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 at, they're, they're uh, fighting for the right for chiropractors to, and it's actually called injectors to be injectors. You know, and my son and I, we go to this gym, and, you know, the good thing about it is this gym doesn't require you, I used to belong to another gym, and they have a mandate, you know, mask mandate and all this stuff, even while working out, so we dropped that. We found a gym that doesn't require you to wear a mask, because if you want to wear them, you wear them, but they do check your temperature. You got to get your temperature checked when you walk in, you know, and I don't know if any of you ever had your temperature checked for, for this COVID stuff, uh, but I won't let them shoot me in the head, you know. So when I go in there and I get a new person that wants to take my temperature, you know, here I am doing this, you know, because you're not shooting me in the head. And some people don't get this and why I'm so adamant about it. I grew up with a father who lived through the Great Depression. I'm the youngest of eight kids, so my father's 90 years old. And so I grew up watching World War II documentaries. and grew up watching them line people up and shoot them so they fell into the pit. And one of these kids at the, at the gym, you know, this was two weeks ago, uh, you know, I did my little dance and held my arm out, you know, do my arm. And he's like laughed or something and said, what, what's, what, what do you, what, why? And so we had a nice little chat. And I explained to him how he is a victim of the administrative state. And he is just following the orders of the administrative state and how easy it will be to just get him to do anything that the administrative state tells him to do. So I'm not letting him shoot me in the head. You know, it's these little things that get me through the day at this point. <laughs> these little pieces of personal autonomy. Right? You should have seen me running up the escalator when I came to the hotel with the guy, Sir, sir, I hear nothing. <laughs> I don't know if you can see that image. But if you wonder why we're dealing with what we're dealing with, this is the personification of it, right? That's a goat. That's a goat. Some of you have heard of this, the big idea. How many have heard of the big idea? I used to ask my uh, final year chiropractic students when I was teaching at life before they gave me the boot, I used to ask them, you know, how many of them heard of the big idea, and of course they raised their hand, and I went to ask them what it was, they couldn't tell you, right? The big idea, the slip on the sidewalk, hopefully you've all heard this. The person affects the person in the back of the room, affects the people in the lobby, affects the people in the city of Marietta, the county of Cobb, the state of Georgia. That person affects the entire country. That person affects the entire world. That one person whose imprisoned impulse is trapped will affect all of us.
crazy, isn't it? Metaphysical mumbo-jumbo, right? Maybe not. Think about how many years ago that B.J. wrote that and the times that he was living in when he wrote that. This is, I can't see the dates on this. You can see the title there. This is maybe 10 years ago, if that old. The Spread of Obesity in a Large Social Network Over 32 Years. Just let that title sink in for a second. This is a long-term study, right? 32 years. I think there were about 12,000 people, subjects in this study. What does it mean? What was the, the, the crux of this article? The crux of the article was that if somebody in your social network, that term has a lot of meaning these days, doesn't it? If somebody in your social network is obese, chances are you will be. You're at risk because of that. Okay? That's not rocket science, right? My grandmother taught me that, right? Told me about who to hang around with and, not who, and who not to hang around with because they'll rub off on you, all that kind of stuff, right? Here's the kicker, though. You don't have to know them. You don't ever have to have met them. You don't have to be geographically located close to them. You could be on the other side of the planet. By the way, the lead author, Christakis, if you're paying attention to any of the literature out there on COVID, that guy's name comes up. World-renowned. Here's another one Christakis and his team did. The collective dynamics of smoking in a large social network. Guess what they found? If you have people in your social network that smoke, they're going to affect you, and you will probably smoke. You're at risk. You don't have to know them. You don't ever have to have met them. But they are in your social network in some way, shape, or form. BJ's big idea being proven today. How come we haven't proven the big idea in chiropractic? The technological means exist. We have the advent of the internet, the ability to manipulate large databases, advanced statistical methods. It can be done. There's absolutely zero excuse from a technological perspective why we couldn't prove, as much as you can prove anything, that the big idea is real and that people are subluxated affect other people in this way. The problem is the will of the profession is missing. This is the Facebook study that you may have heard about over the past few months. This is the experiment that Herr Zuckerberg has been playing on you for 20 years. 20 years, 700,000 people. They can manipulate all of us. It is so easy. And this proves it. And the events of the past 10 months prove it. The events of the past two weeks prove it. Look at what has happened in just the past two weeks to our country. Believe it or not, there's stuff in the chiropractic literature on this. This is ancient at this point. This is 1990s. Mark Filippi. Mark just recently passed away. He's a good friend of mine. He wrote this paper, Subluxation as a Social Cultural Imitation, Resolving a Philobiological Epiphenomenon. I can't get past the title without a dictionary. And what Mark does in this paper, it's a two-part series, he lays out the theory and the mechanisms by which the big idea is real, right? And he wrote this, like I said, this is going back probably close to, this had to have been around 1996 when JVSR was just started to be published. 
So the technical means exist. We have the theory. We have the tools, but the will of the profession is missing. The profession is not interested. Where the profession is interested in science and research, it's about neck pain, back pain, and headaches because that's what the controlling cartel in the profession has decided we're going to hang our hat on. And we all just go along, just like the guy taking the temperature, just like wearing the mask and everything else. Subluxation is part of a larger pattern of collective survival-based adaptations common to every human being, human being's ongoing growth and development. That's just, that's just a quote from two of the two, from the two papers that I feel like summarizes in a nutshell, in one sentence, what Mark was talking about. I have a master's degree in public health. I graduated from Emory University with my master's in public health, I, I want to say around 2008, 2009. Little did I know what I was going to end up using it for until 10 months ago. And honestly, I don't know if it's been more of a burden because when I read the stuff that the public health infrastructure puts out in the administrative state, you know, I want to bang my head against the wall because I know they're lying. Because I was trained by them. When I was getting my public health degree, I took a course as an elective just for shits and giggles in pandemic response, pandemic and bioterrorism response. <laughs> I just thought it would be fun class to take, mixed in with everything else that I was taking. Everything that's happened to you, to us, is standard public health SOP, standard operating procedure. Everything that was happening, and I predicted this, I would make some posts at the beginning and on my Facebook page, here's what's going to happen, here's what's going to happen, here's what's going to happen, right? And then that's what happened, and that's what happened, that's what happened, right? Because I, I, I was trained in this. I was trained what to do. We had about an hour lecture in this course on the mask. This is 2008. The mask is a symbol. Don't take my word. Fauci said it. Anybody that's trained in an accredited public health institution in this country learns that the mask is a symbol and how to use the mask as a symbol. It's used as a reminder to the public and to other people of the invisible threat. It's used to keep the fear going. Okay? This isn't rhetoric that I'm telling you. Okay? These are facts. Because in public health communication, fear is the motivator. And you all know this, even though you may not be you know, uh, uh, conscious of it at this very moment. Fear is the motivator. There's only two things that motivate people. What are they? There's only two things. One of them is fear. What's the other one? Pleasure. Pain and pleasure. That's it. You could come up with a whole list of things that motivate people, but they're going to fall under either pain or pleasure. A single-celled organism, right, functions in this fashion. It moves towards pleasure and away from pain. That's the way it works. Of those two, pain and pleasure, what is the greater motivator? Pain. It's evolutionary. So unless you cognitively, on a higher level, override that basic instinct of fear, that's what your actions are going to be based on. And the public health infrastructure knows this, they use it, and they manipulate us this way. Okay? This is the formula. This is in the scientific literature in public health. This is the definition of risk in public health communication. Risk equals hazard plus outrage. 
Now, pieces of the puzzle will fall together for some of you as I describe this. Okay? In order to have a risk or a perceived risk, right? Because it's about perception. And in public health communication, they talk about perception and how you change people's perception and how it's done. So in order to get people to perceive that there's a risk, because many of you are probably like me, I see no risk in this nonsense, except from other human beings and how they are responding to it and reacting. So in order to have a perceived risk, you have to have an identified hazard. You have to have something that's bad. Okay? You have to have a boogeyman. But that's not enough. Okay? Because in chiropractic, we have a boogeyman. We have a subluxation. It makes people sick and it kills them. Yes? Here's what's missing in chiropractic, in terms of the public, though. The second part of the equation. The public is not outraged about it. You can have all the hazard you want, but if people aren't upset about it and aren't scared shitless, they're not going to care. So all of public health communication is designed to push the outrage, to push the fear, and get you to act the way they want you to act. And we could go through it and break it down. But here's the problem for us. Okay? Allopathy, medicine, public health has cultural authority. The chiropractic profession does not have cultural authority. So if we try to use this formula, if we try to provoke outrage by educating our patients of the devastating effects of vertebral subluxation, what happens to the chiropractor? They get brought before the board. That's what Bill Morgan meant when he said, you'll be under the hand of the law if you start talking to your patients about this. Don't be educating your patients about the power of the nervous system and the relationship between the subluxation, the nervous system, and immune function. And as Dr. Moe said, they're inseparable. This is the problem that we have. This is a model for sustained behavioral change that's taught in public health, okay? You have to know the risk of poor practices. That's the, the scare care. That's the fear. You got to know the benefits of safe practices. That's the pleasure, okay? I just explained to you, and you agreed that fear is the greater motivator. So this is what's relied on in allopathy and public health and what we're being exposed to right now. When chiropractors try to emphasize the risk of continuing to live your life subluxated, we get in trouble. Because subluxations don't exist. There's no proof of them. There's no proof that that'll happen. Blah, 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 blah. Bullshit. And I'll tell you something, more than ever, more than even before the past 10 months, I mean, I was pretty outspoken about the devastating effects of vertebral subluxation, and I would say things in public that I wouldn't necessarily advise my insureds to say, because I don't give a shit. Bring it on, right? Come on. Put your dukes up. I don't want you to put your license at risk. But I don't have to worry about that. So the issue becomes for you as a practitioner, knowing when to dial one up or when to dial one down, depending upon the person sitting in front of you. Some people don't need to hear a whole lot of bad information to make an intelligent decision. Some people really need to be a little scared. 
They need to understand the devastating effects of vertebral subluxation. When you're putting those x-rays up and they have a reverse cervical curve or they have a you know, stage four degeneration, subluxation degeneration, that's scary. Some people need that to make a decision. Some people don't. And your job as a practitioner is to figure out you know, the dials on this thing and how much of, of one or the other to give somebody. And then there's other things in here. People have to have the skills to practice the behaviors. They have to have the resources. And they have to believe that they can do it. Right? People have to have skills to do the things that you try to get them to do. Whether it's just managing their time enough that they can have the time in the week to come and get adjusted. That's a skill that they may not have. They have to have the resources. They've got to be able to pay for it, right? But ultimately, even in public health, it comes down to belief. You have to believe. The patient has to believe. You have to have the authority to help them get that belief, to own that belief. If you don't have that authority about the devastating effects of vertebral subluxation and the value of your adjustment, then how are they going to have it? Especially in this crazy world. And the genie's not going back in the bottle. It's out for good. Certainly our lifetimes. It's all about perception. What's more risky? All this crap or the chiropractor? Just remember what the public believes. Here's the reality, right? John Hart, when he was a chairman, he did a bunch of studies on correlations with mortality rates and ratios of chiropractors in certain geographical areas around the country. In some cases, he compared it to the number of medical doctors or osteopaths. Here's the bottom line. There's a few slides I'll go through pretty quickly, but the bottom line is, according to his studies, and these are, this is solid stuff. According to his studies and his data, the more chiropractors in a geographical area, the healthier the population. In fact, it goes so far as the less deaths from all-cause mortality. Things like cancer, cardiovascular disease, the big killers. Right? 1990 death rates in the U.S. in relation to chiropractors and medical doctors per capita age, income, and education. In this one, he showed the more chiropractors, the healthier. The more medical doctors, the sicker. And those of you who have been around long enough, I mean, shoot, when I was practicing in Florida and doing my lay lectures in the, in the early 90s, I used to put up those studies about how when the medical doctors went on strike, right, the death rates went down. I mean, this is stuff they know. I mean, look what happened over the past 10 months with mortality rates and all these other disease categories. And it's not just because they're calling everything COVID. It's because people aren't going to the doctor. Improved health was correlated with the ratio of chiropractors. This means the more chiropractors there were, the better the health of the population. This study found that the number of chiropractors were more strongly correlated with improved health outcomes compared to medical doctors and osteopaths. In this study, there were strong correlations for reduced death, reduced death rates from cancer, heart disease, and all causes with an increase in chiropractor ratios. This is from... What's the date on this? This is, uh, is that 19 or 18? 18. This is 2018, the International Research and Philosophy Symposium at Sherman. And you can't see the, the fine print, but one of the presenters was um, Stan Pierce. Anybody know Stan Pierce Jr., the junior, right? And Epic, I think is the name. Epic's the name of his uh, program. He's doing some incredible stuff. In fact, 
we uh, paid for the scholarship for Christy Kwan, who you saw in that little video, to get her master's in public health at Emory University, and she did her thesis on data from his clinics on the epidemiology of vertebral subluxation. It's the first study ever conducted in the history of the profession to determine the prevalence of vertebral subluxation in the population. It's about 78%, according to this study. Can you believe it's the first one that's ever been done? Like, what the hell have we been doing? We, we say that everybody is subluxated. It at least increased morbidity and mortality, but we have actu actually had no data until just last year how many people have one. I mean, like, what's been going on? I mean, if you were in charge of this thing, like it was a company, and you walked in and saw this, you'd be like, what the hell have you people been doing? Anyway, Stan is presenting... This was two years ago. This is before he gave us any data to look at and play with and have some fun with. This is where we had the first conversation about this after he was done. Because Stan is presenting. And I'm sitting in the back with Dr. Kent. And I'm listening. And Stan is, is talking about x-ray data, specifically cervical curvatures. And he's, we're talking about thousands of subjects. Okay? I'm not talking about 12 people. Thousands of subjects. And he's showing a breakdown of cervical curves, degrees of cervical curve by age groups. Okay? I'm getting chills just thinking about this. And he gets up to the older age category. I don't ask me exactly what age group it was, but it was like, you know, the, the above 70. Okay? And what happened when he got to that data was that there were more people in the sample that had normal cervical curves. Let that sink in for a second, right? So he's presenting this, and he's talking about that. He shows the data, and, he's, and, he, and he just kind of flippantly says, I'm not really sure why that is, and starts talking about something else. And I'm sitting in the back of the room, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, call on me, wait a second. And he's like, what? I said, it's because they're dead. Everybody's like, what? They're dead. They don't show up in the data because they're dead. Only the people with normal cervical curves are going to live that long. Yes! How many of you see this in actual practice? You get old people come in and they have curves that look pretty good and you're like, wow, how'd you make it this long with that? How did that happen? My father is 90 years old. Listen, he grew up with two kids at a chiropractor's, but we were just goddamn little idiots, so, you know, he didn't listen to anything we had to say. He got adjusted, you know, a half a dozen times, maybe in his whole life, but he swears by chiropractors, right? You know that he has nearly a normal cervical curve in his neck? 91 years old. <clears throat> with this whole COVID thing, you know, and it just, this is what just pisses me off so much about these people, the World Federation of Chiropractic, the ACA, the Parker President, all these people that they went after chiropractors during COVID. They specifically sought them out and turned them in for stuff that they were saying to their patients. And what I noticed was right when COVID started, I saw it on social media. I saw chiropractors talking to patients about immunity, talking to them about the nervous system, talking to them about the connections between all of these things and the power of chiropractic to help them. And then these knuckleheads came out and said, oh, no, 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 you'll be under the hand of the law if you do that. And all of a sudden I saw it died down. Chiropractors stopped talking about it. They got scared. And I started thinking about this, you know. Because of that, how many people did not seek care? Because chiropractors were muzzled. How many weren't told the story? Because they were muzzled. How many stopped care? Because the chiropractor may have pulled back a little bit or because trade associations were afraid to talk about it. 
How many of those people got sick? How many of those people died because of that? How many people died over the past 10 months because they didn't get chiropractic care? That's chiropractic error. We're responsible for that. Ethically and morally, we're responsible for that. See, I ended up talking about it at the beginning <laughs> because of the emotion. We're it. Like Steve Marini said in, in the video, how many people are, how many providers, how many healthcare practitioners are talking to patients about the power of the human body? It's all outside in. And, it, and I, know, I know it takes an incredible amount of fortitude, it takes an incredible amount of inner strength to put yourself on that ledge, to put yourself out there and tell people the truth. Because I know as somebody that runs a malpractice insurance program, you're putting yourself at risk by doing that. Because there's knuckleheads out there just waiting. All the chiropractors who, all they do is treat neck pain, back pain, headaches and don't have a principle, when COVID started, they stayed home. They shut their practices down. And then they're watching their neighbor chiropractors. They're going to the office. They're seeing people. They're telling them, I'm going to tell on them. That's exactly what happened all over the country, in Canada, in the United Kingdom, in Australia. In fact, there are chiropractors within that element of the profession that took the time to train other chiropractors on how to tell on other chiropractors. How to, they took them by the hand, gave them a bullet point list. Here's number one, here's number two. Here's how you file a complaint. Here's what you say. Here's how you make sure the board follows up in case they ignore it. These are the chiropractors. There's some old people in the room. How many are old enough to have owned one of these? Neil, we know. In fact, you still have one, don't you? You still go to the airport with that. Yeah. <laughs> My, we had one. My father still has this one in his condo in Coral Springs, except it's green. In fact, when we used to go on trips, we all put all of our clothes in it because we had the only suitcase we had. When did we put wheels on our luggage? When did we put wheels on luggage? Does anybody know? I don't know an exact date, but roundabout, when do you think we put wheels on luggage? 90s, 80s? Somewhere around there, right? How long's the wheel been around? I mean, it's funny, right? But it's really kind of scary when you think about it. The wheel's been there all along. We had luggage. We had the wheel. And for all this time that people were carrying luggage around, nobody sat down and said, what if I put the wheel on the luggage? <laughs> Why did that take so long? The moral of this story, as I finish, is it's time to put some wheels on the luggage of the chiropractic profession. Yes? Thank you. I love all of you. I appreciate you. Thank you.